1: Welcome to the Bunker Daily, I'm Jacob Jarvis. The 1970s, a decade remembered for strikes, blackouts and punks. In politics, it has become a constant reference point for crises, with front pages frequently suggesting we're due to be dragged back half a century. But why has the decade stuck so firmly in our consciousness? Are our perceptions of it correct? And truly, how comparable is then to now? Here to discuss this is Lawrence Black, a professor of modern history at the University of York, who edited the book Reassessing 1970s Britain. Hello, Lawrence. Hi. Oh, Lawrence, when did this obsession with harking back to the 1970s begin? Yeah, good question. I mean, the, the straight answer
2: is the 1980s. It started in the 1980s, where a particular image of the decade of the 1970s was constructed hmm. uh, with, with great potency, by, uh, largely by the Thatcher government and by Thatcher herself and and many ministers. And the the image they constructed was everything went wrong in the 70s. As you said at the beginning, it was all strikes, inflation, economic downturn, you know, a a negative picture. And of course, they were the salvation to this. They they had the political fix, the economic fix, and, you know, they contrasted Their achievements in the 1980s to this, you know, as I'm going to suggest, rather sort of partisan biased image of the 1970s. What I think has really made it stuck was that, however misplaced in certain ways that image was, it was sort of corroborated and underlined in the 1990s by the Blair governments at the end of the decade, who also said. 70s was all wrong. Labour got it wrong. We're new Labour. We've got a different fix from, you know, from old Labour, which was very 1970s image. So it really got quite sort of rigorous political pasting and that fed into the newspapers. It fed into the mass media, TV, film, and into popular minds as
1: well. Do you think the words of figures like Thatcher and Blair have a kind of out of proportion effect on the public's memory of time and in history when a prime minister says something it kind of resonates in a way that it doesn't when someone else says it
2: yes i think that's probably true but in a sense that's their role politicians are elected partly as defining figures of you know what what national identity uh what national identity is so it's sort of disproportionate in that they have a louder voice than many other people but that is part of their part of their role and and they're doing it, the rhetoric, the discourse that they're producing is is not always consciously trying to shape perceptions of history, but it's trying to put together a sort of a popular narrative, one that will resonate with voters. These are the people that understand what happened, what went wrong, and what the solutions are. So there's a, there's a sort of narrative coherence aspect to it.
1: In terms of politicians weaponizing what went before them, we seem to see that you know, pretty much all the time in any sort of political contest, even now looking at Truss and Sunak, they're trying to distance themselves from what happened right before, even though they were large parts of it, you could argue, being ministers. Why is it that the 70s is one of those examples where it's stuck around and continues to be used even when there's so much in between? On the
2: face of it, it is curious that the 70s has such, you know, if, if you want to call it traction, as you, as you said in your intro, uh, front pages of newspapers today are saying, you know, we're going back to the 70s. This is 1979, repeat, winter of discontent will be coming up at the end of 2022. I think there are various reasons why the 70s has produced such a, a, a sort of pervasive image one of them is that it is bookended by general elections general election in 1970 when labor lose and the ted heath government take over and the general election in 1979 when uh, thatcher comes in so it, it lends itself to us you know a, a kind of chronological coherence not just a narrative coherence but there's also an element in which the perception was so, is so sort of clear cut, black and white, if you like, that the seventies was negative. You know, even you know, fashion and music, sort of disco and flares, were you know, a uh, uh, sort of looked down upon compared Mm. to say the 60s which is very bright social and cultural revolution or to the 1980s where you know there's a a rather more unequal impression the 1980s Mm. it is a period of industrial strikes and inequality but also a period of the Thatcher boom and you know people buying council houses sort of popular consumerism so the 70s has a sort of universally bad image Mm. which which allows it to be painted quite clearly
1: as you mentioned the 1960s is kind of held in quite high regards did the 70s seem particularly bleak due to things simply having been quite good in a lot of ways in the years before it Yes, I think
2: that's uh, that lends itself. The 60s is sort of, you know, brightly coloured, pop music, Britain culturally liberating itself from from sort of rather old-fashioned morals and values. I think what most historians would now argue is that in fact the 70s sees the continuation of that there is you know it's not as if the sexual revolution doesn't stop when ted heath is elected and there's quite a lot of quite you know liberating legislation changes to the laws on things like equal pay domestic violence, women's rights to access, social security, stuff like that. So, in fact, what happened in the 60s continues in the 1970s. But by that stage, the 60s has stolen the thunder.
1: On a kind of wider narrative, was there a sort of confluence of things going on that the the post-war boom economically, that was coming to an end? And then the sort of political consensus we saw after that was also maybe... Breaking apart Was it maybe because there was, you know, a multitude of issues that sort of come together that make this disconnect to the 70s seem so, so strong? I think that would be a
2: fair comment. Um, political scientists writing about the 70s like to use the word ungovernable. But Britain seemed to have a sort of, you know, as you say, a, a perfect storm of, of, you know, economic industrial political issues that that were seemingly unsolvable until Thatcher proposed a solution the one point or the contextual point i would add to that is that of course things like the 1973 oil crisis the opec oil crisis and inflation were not unique to britain most western liberal democratic capitalist economies suffer similar difficulties in the 1970s mm. so it's it's not a it's not a british disease or it's not only a british disease you know you think of america with the watergate scandal new york city going bankrupt in 1975 it sounds very similar to britain's 1970s a sort of mishmash of political and economic crises and, you know, mugging is a good example of that. Britain, you know, the term mugging is is coined in the 1970s by sociologists. There seems to be a sort of um, infestation of mugging in Britain. And, you know, you think of your image of of 1970s New York City, which is very much sort of crime ridden, dirty, corrupt. Um, It's a very similar sort of image.
1: Hmm. In terms of that, you know, how we remember it and the reality. What do you think are the key mischaracterisations of the decade, if you had to pick them?
2: I think partly that this is a British problem. I don't think it's a British problem. I think it's a, a you know, it's a, a crisis for Western liberal democratic capitalism. There's nothing particularly British to strikes economic downturn, mugging as of, of, you know, crime, street crime, as I've just said. But there is a the, the way in which it is constructed by popular politicians and the popular press, chiefly the newspapers, is that this is something particularly to Britain, we need a British solution to this. And that simply doesn't really stand up to any empirical investigation. It's, you know, these are quite common characteristics across Western
1: democracies. And looking now at the crises of the decade and what we're facing at this moment, how do you think the, the issues truly compare? Are they as directly comparable as people like to make out? Or is it just that on a surface level, it appears similar things are happening.
2: Historians' instinct on questions like that say, oh, no, it's, it's, it's different, there are multiple sort of differences. I actually think there are certain parallels um, here. You've got a government, okay, it's a conservative government rather than most of the 70s was, was a Labour government, that's clearly sort of out of touch with the scale of the problem. We've got a blooming energy crisis, which was quite characteristic, quite unique to the 1970s compared to the to the post-war boom, um, you think of the three-day week in 1973, 1974, electricity rationing, which you know I guess is one kind of solution for the for the looming uh, cost of living energy crisis. There aren't any obvious or easy solutions to. Um, no this, we've got a policy, the energy cap policy, which, which is clearly sort of dysfunctional. It's not doing what it's, what it's supposed to do for the, for the huge majority of, of consumers. And, um, that was the perception of the, of the 1970s that the economy wasn't working for most people. They either, they were either suffering from inflation, um, or, on strike pursuing large wage increases. So there is a kind of crisis in political economy, if you, if you like. Mm. The system isn't working for the majority of people. Everybody agrees that it isn't working, but quite what the solution is remains, uh, remains out of sight. And so I suppose the difference would be that there was a, a clear proposal for a solution in Thatcher's neoliberal package.
1: is kind of the part of the key here in terms of why this lingers just Thatcher. It seems to be that Margaret Thatcher seems Mm. to be a completely inescapable, you know, she's moved beyond the person to a sort of concept which the Conservative Party just can't get away from. Is she really the missing link between us and the 1970s because the Conservatives are still trying to herald her, so therefore they're going to consistently herald to the 1970s?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's as and as you sort of say that it's it's more myth than reality. The Thatcher myth is clearly very potent for Conservatives. They want to be seen as the you know the kind of the inheritor uh, of of Thatcher's legacy, and I suppose the contrast there would be. The extent to which B- Blair, who would be the other dominant political figure between now and the 1970s, is it, it almost plays the opposite role in, in the Labour Party. There are obviously plenty of fans of, of, of Blair, but it's a much more mixed legacy, rather, you know, loathed and despised by uh, the Corbyn wing. Of the party who see Blair as as basically, you know, a Thatcher uh, figure, bringing Britain into, you know, the global economy, effectively neoliberal. And his is a more disputed legacy, whereas Thatcher is sort of untouchable. Everybody wants to be Thatcher, almost irrespective of, of, uh, the policy they're applying and um, some colleagues of mine wrote, uh, wrote uh, a couple of years ago a book, The Churchill Myth. And I strongly suspect that, you know, there'll, there'll be a study of Thatcher's sort of Thatcher after her premiership will be, you know, a, a, a source of much study.
1: In terms of the strikes, you know, we're starting to see them on a scale, which could perhaps begin to be comparable to some extent. But do you think the, the circumstances around those and the kind of the power of unions at this point can that really compare to the 70s or are we just looking at two completely different situations there? They are pretty different. In the, the in the 1970s, union
2: membership, union density in Britain was was pretty high by by the end of the decade, around half British workers uh, and many of the middle class white collar workers were in a trade union. The proportion mm. is much lower. Now, it was, uh, you know, let's be blunt about it, it was, it was easier to go on strike in the 1970s, whether you think that's a good or a bad thing, it was easier to go on strike. It's now, it's now very difficult to, for, to, to get, you know, legal legitimacy to go on strike. I say that as a member of, you know, the university and college union, mm-hmm. which has had multiple ballots. And uh, part of the issue with that is getting the turnout to get, uh, to get a majority to go on strike, most people who vote want to go on or feel they need to go on strike it 's much more difficult, but the unions are much less potent today you 're right; they seem to have you know sort of woken up to the crisis, and there are certainly some you know some loud and clear voices advocating a you know a, a, for unions and for a more sort of left wing policy but they're they 're nowhere near as powerful as they were. In the nineteen seventies, nowhere near as popular. If you if you measure popularity
1: through membership, away from the political aspect as well, sort of socially, is that a reason why it's kind of perhaps easy to frame the seventies in this way? Because people think of punks, and do you think Mm. that that is another thing that ties into it? These sort of this punk crusties kind of image that people seem to have those and those words that we still hear thrown about is that sort of something which has also just lingered because when we look back at the images of the 70s that's kind of what we see yes
2: and the punk aspect is is interesting because it is you you're absolutely right it is very much an image associated with the 1970s but there's no sense in which punk was the most popular music disco Mm. was much more popular sold much better more people were involved in it but you know you don't get multiple bbc4 documentaries on disco uh whereas everybody now recalling the 1970s seems to have been a punk or been Mm. a sex pistols first gig or whatever you know you, (laughs) you you wonder where they actually were in the 1970s but you're right it gives it a very clear image and it is a sort of, you know, punk as a manifestation of discontent with society. Uh, whether you see that as creative or or more negative, is is a clear image and cult. You know, there isn't such a sort of distinctive cultural flag mm. for recent years. I, you know, I say that as a you know, sort of middle aged, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, male, but um, but but there clearly isn't. You know, that may come, but mm. um, it isn't quite as distinctive as, uh, as punk was.
1: How can we think
2: differently about the 70s? Well, I mean, I think probably two ways. My historian's answer is we, we really oughtn't to think about decades. There's much more going on. It's much more complex and nuanced. And I'm not trying to be, you know, say I know more than you do about the <laughs> 1970s. But it is very, very difficult to really Empirically, paint a decade with a certain uh, Mm. in one particular color. You know, you can do it, and politicians do it, and front-page newspaper headlines do it. But it's not, it's not, it's not very historically uh, Mm. accurate. Having said that, I don't think the image of the seventies will change um, particularly. It's you know, even people that weren't there now have this. this sort of, uh, you know, strikes, inflation, soccer hooligans, punks, image mm. of the nineteen seventies. I can't really see that shifting, because it's in no political or popular press interest to, to shift that. It's a useful rhetorical device to, to paint the up to paint the opponents as um, as negative or backward looking or you know. Mm. Haven't really sort of escaped the um, the 1970s, and you know, in that sense, it's rather like the 60s. You know, what was the popular phrase about the 60s? Um, if you remember it, you weren't there. Well, the <laughs> thing with the 70s is you don't need to be there because we'll tell you what it was like. It was it was it was dreadful. We need to avoid it. Steer clear of the 70s.
1: Do you think if we don't shift that perception, it might be best generally for us to maybe just largely stop thinking about it? quite so much overall and if we see the media or a politician mentioning it maybe switch off a little bit yeah i guess the straight answer to that has to be yes
2: whether that can happen is 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 less likely because it's become you know it's almost an adjective the 70s means negative images and it's very difficult to 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 alter that um that perception it's difficult to forget something whether you were there or 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 not, or pretend that you've forgotten it. But mm. I suppose the it, it, its potency will fade mm. as we move further away, um, further away from it. And I guess what is most likely to happen is an alternative decade will present itself, uh, whether mm. negatively or positively. As you know, here's here's either what we do need to do or what we don't need to to do. And I'm going to put my uh, historian's money on. The 2010s, when okay. the economy goes wrong, Britain leaves the EU. Whether you think that's a good or a bad mm. thing, I'm I'm not dodging that issue. But it's a you know it's a, a kind of polarising political issue. And you know towards the end of the 2010s, you get the beginning of COVID 2020. I guess you can you know you could have the long 2010s from the 2008 crisis to who knows when. I think that will probably. Replace it as a decade when certain policy decisions, particularly economic policy decisions, the coalition and austerity, and then the Brexit decision and the ensuing sort of political uh, maelstrom that we're we're sort of still stuck in, and then COVID as a you know global crisis, but sort of implanted within those uh, those other crises presents itself, and what politicians will say is we must avoid this, we have the policies to make sure we don't make those kinds of uh, mistakes again. That needs, rather as Thatcher does with the 1970s, quite a careful construction and you can see uh, if you look very carefully, and you'd have to look pretty hard, you can see Starmer starting to try to do that. And I suspect the Conservatives will try to do that as well. They'll be the, you know, the post-Johnson narrative will we'll attempt to do something like that. But I, I suspect it will be painted in pretty bleak,
1: negative uh, imagery. In 20 years' time, I'm going to get you back on the podcast to talk about us being dragged back to the 2010s. <laughs> yes, and
2: I'll, I'll clip my, uh, my bet that will have allowed me to retire by then.
1: <laughs> Lawrence, thank you for joining me today. Thanks. Listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can also back us on Patreon. There's a link in the show notes or just search Bunker Patreon Podcast. And if you feel like it, next time you're stuck at the pub with that hard-to-talk-to mate, how about saying, I listened to this brilliant podcast the other day, it's called The Bunker. You'll sound interesting and we might get a new fan. This is Jacob Jarvis, signing out of The Bunker. The Bunker Daily was written and presented by Jacob Jarvis. The producers were Yelena Sofroniavich, Jacob Archbold, and Alex Reese, with assistant production from Kasia Tomaszewicz. Group editor was Andrew Harrison, and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey, and our marketing manager is Gina Richard. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.